0: Hi, everybody. This is Lori Weaver, and this is Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 19. It's now been six weeks, six days since I began my grand experiment where I'm podcasting my thoughts and feelings about compulsive overeating and binge eating rather than heading for the chips. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the cost of being in compulsive overeating and binging the exhaustion and maybe give some ideas and ask for your feedback. But first, enjoy the little bit of my opening song by Josh
1: Woodward. But I'm letting go, I'm letting go. It's a history that never really grows. I'm letting
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that little bit of I'm Letting Go, my theme song. And I play just a little bit of it before I start speaking. Every single time I go hiking or walking or go off by myself to think about my thoughts and to give you guys this podcast story. (laughs) And that's because it centers me around what I'm really trying to accomplish. I'm letting go of things that don't serve me. I'm letting go of the expectations on myself to be perfect. I'm letting go of the need to please everybody in my life because I realize it's just not possible. There's going to be people out there that don't like me. I can't believe it. There's going to be people out there that have already hung up on this podcast and said, how dare she play that music? I don't like that. (laughs) Or I don't like her voice. Or I don't, this isn't for me. But there's some of you who have listened to this music, you've listened to this podcast, and you say, wow, this is really helping me, I'm interested in this, this podcast is for me. So I don't want to waste one moment of my time worrying about the people who've already hung up or, or deleted or unsubscribed or whatever they did. I don't need to worry about them because obviously this isn't speaking to them. For those of you that continue to listen, who have subscribed, who subscribe to my blog, who say hi on Facebook, hi on Instagram, those of you are my brave companions. And I think that's kind of where I'm heading. For the last several episodes, those of you that are new with us, I've been trying to figure out what to call my listeners and commenters and callers. Because that's kind of cumbersome to keep saying, Hey, my listeners, callers, and commenters, I think you are all my brave companions. Because Even if you're not yet up to commenting or calling or communicating directly with me, if you've been listening and you continue to listen and you're letting these words or thoughts trigger you to do something about your issue or to even think about your issue, that's brave. Because the heart of our eating disorders, whichever one may be our forte, (laughs) is to not deal. It's meant to not deal with other things in our life. It's a way for us to cope. So, the very fact that you, Brave Companion, are this moment listening to a podcast about compulsive overeating and binge eating, and it might be triggering in you some thoughts about how you wish to change your behavior or some thoughts about how you might improve your life or thoughts about how you can accept yourself and stop beating yourself up, That's using a different method to calm yourself than using food or lack of food or thoughts about food. You're using Compulsive Overeating Diary. (laughs) And that's my first tip for today. You know, every time you read an article about compulsive overeating or binge eating, you get this list. Make a list of things to do instead of binge. Have a soothing bubble bath, take a walk, call a friend, read a fashion magazine. Now I don't know about you, but when my headspace is such that I'm ready to dive headfirst into the chips and inhale all of that crap and then top it off with a gallon of ice cream, I'm not thinking about Mary Claire. (laughs) Oh, let me look at the fashions of today. I'm not feeling like I'm going to be able to call my best friend at two in the morning and say, hey, guess what, I'm about ready to dive into the chips. Probably not gonna happen. But you know who you do have at two in the morning? Me. You can call my emergency bravery hotline at 206-350-6445 and you can yell, Lori, I'm about to dive into the chips. You can even say, I'm going to dive into the chips, but I'm going to tell you first, just because at least that gives me a moment to breathe before I dive into those darn chips. And if you do that and you don't want me to put it on the podcast, just say, and don't put this on the podcast, darn it. you know, but I want to be that 24-7 place, you know, you can, you can download this onto your phone, or if you still have iPods, iPod, or on your computer, it's even on the TV, you know, when I was looking up the stats for yesterday's episode, I can also see, like, how many of you are listening on iTunes, how many are on an Android phone, and all this, and I saw some people were listening on Roku, R-O-K-U, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Roku, now, That's a desktop set to go to TV. I thought, I have a Roku, but how am I listening to podcasts on that? So I looked into it, and I see that there's a Roku channel for TuneIn Radio. I'm on TuneIn Radio, so sure enough, I added the TuneIn Radio channel to my whopping big TV with my Roku, and I listened to myself podcasting on my huge TV in surround sound, because that's what my husband likes, surround sound. (laughs) Oh my goodness. If you're scared of calling me on the phone, you can imagine how I feel listening to myself over a theater-quality sound system on my big-ass TV, but it was kind of cool. My ubiquitous hiking scarf photo that I use as my logo was bouncing all over the big TV. And I re-listened to episode 12 about plan B because I found that so meaningful in my life. I said, you know, this is really cool. I'm kicking back on the couch and I'm listening all about ways that I might be able to integrate joy and food both into my life. So guess what? I thought this is a great idea. If you have Ruku... Go put on the Tune In Radio channel and go search for Compulsive Overeating Diary. And then next time you feel like kicking back on the couch with a bowl of chips, go ahead, but listen to me. <laughs> so at least while you're eating those chips, you're like going, mm, this is a really good chip. Good point, Lori. Mm, let me take another bite. Wow, Lori, I never thought of that. Hey, I think I'm just gonna have these chips and listen to you. I'm betting that at least you will... Have a few less chips or at least you'll be laughing while you're eating those chips instead of feeling alone while you're having a whopping big binge go on listen on the whopping big tv or your little tv or your phone but think of that like for me this is my day-to-day journey but you have access to every day since i began my experiment almost seven weeks ago now and i want to update you that in that seven weeks i've now lost 11 pounds that's right. I've lost the one pound I put on my birthday weekend and another this week. So I'm right on track. 11 pounds, seven weeks. It's magic. Well, I wish it was. <laughs> no, it's not really because I'm on a food plan. And my food plan is basically I eat fifteen to 1,600 calories a day. I exercise when I feel like it. And right now it's pretty much... Hiking a couple days a week, coming up the mountain like I am today on my upper Zen place. I do some water aerobics classes at the Y. I like to do long rambles around the botanical garden near my house, Descanso Gardens. And you might notice that I haven't been broadcasting as much from my local park. That's because that was my beginning exercise. The local park is quite flat and I can walk to it from my home. So that's where I start, like day one and two and three and four. A lot of those were all done around my park because that's where I was starting out. Now a lot of my podcasts are done here from the top of my hiking trail because I have gained in fitness in these seven weeks. I've gone from being able to walk at a slow pace around my park to being able to get up to the top of the mountain pretty easily. And even though I rest and drink some water and eat my handy green apple, which is supposed to be good for your voice, the time it takes from breathlessness to being able to podcast for you has greatly reduced. So besides the number on the scale, I also see increase in my fitness. And if you go to today's picture on my website, like every single day, that I do a podcast you can go to the website and look at those show notes and I have a featured picture I have a resource of the day I have links to other episodes or places or people that I've mentioned and today I'm going to do a split photo my selfie of today and my first selfie and I think you can see that my face is a little bit thinner or maybe not maybe but I, I kind of see the difference so that's one reason I take all these selfies around the world here is As I continue with my journey, it's cool to me that I have this record, both photographically and of my words, of how I was feeling. I've captured the sadness of when my uncle died. I've captured the excitement when Fee from New Zealand first posted a comment, my very first comment, my very first review from Tracy in Pennsylvania. All of these moments that made this podcast feel wonderful. Clear up to the moment that I got that letter that I read to you yesterday from Ashley in Tennessee. And these letters are happening more frequently. And it makes me feel like even though I'm retired, even though I'm not earning money, even though I didn't get to be someone's mother in my life, I'm still somebody. I still matter. I'm doing something that really resonates with my soul that if there's anyone out there that's hurting with these issues, if I can be a crumb of comfort, a crumb of resource, I am I feel like my life is still worth living. And living well. Living well is my goal. Speaking of which, I do want to give a shout out because I thought, wow, I gave so many shout outs yesterday. This is my second podcast in a row. And I don't usually go every day. But... In the evening, I got a fresh new listener named Gato. Now, if you're Gato or Gato, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm going to guess Gato. And Gato posted a really cool comment on day 18. And part of it was about how exhausting it is to deal with compulsive eating and binge eating and the drain on time, emotions, finances, relationships. And you know it is. We've talked before about the compulsive computer brain. The compulsive brain that will calculate every calorie that you have eaten, that will think, even if you just have breakfast, will think ahead to what can I have for lunch or snack or what's in the fridge or what can I get at the store or what Taco Bell is on my way to where I'm going. The food, what can I eat, what can't I eat, how many calories is in that, how many fat grounds. All of this is in the compulsive brain how fat am I what pants can I wear do I have anything in my closet now if you're a binge eater and compulsive eater I don't know if this is as true for the people with bulimia I I honestly don't know but if you're a compulsive overeater you tend to go on the roller coaster dieting or you diet and then you binge and then you get disgusted and you go back on your diet again and then you gain again and so It might be that every other week you are a different size. So we don't have like our one size fat clothes and our one size thin clothes. We tend to have like eight sizes in the closet because you never know from any one day what size am I going to be. And if you get invited out to a party and maybe you have one or two party outfits, you break into a cold sweat because you're not quite sure, is this party outfit the size I am right now? Think how exhausting that is to not just say, oh, do I want to wear my blue dress or my green dress or my purple jeans or or, not to just think that way, not to think about fashion, but do I have to make time to go to the store to buy a size bigger? Do I have anything that I can wear? And then the debilitating time of going in the closet, trying to wiggle into the pants that did fit a couple weeks ago, but you find out now they don't. And you squirrel through your things and throw clothes on the floor, just hoping against hope that something will fit. Bras are also my Waterloo. I hate bras. I hate them to death because of my weird size fluctuations. They go from fitting okay to absolutely pinching the bejesus out of me and being uncomfortable. And the first thing I ever did after working the corporation was to throw off my top and remove my bra and hope the gardeners weren't out there to view this. (laughs) I tell you, I hate them. So I tend to go around now in worn out sports bras that really don't do much for uplifting my figure at all, but they don't pinch me. So it's weird the things you think about. So, in money, for me, I've spent a lot of money on clothes, not because I'm a Nordstrom girl or I get Maloblonic shoes or I have high fashion taste, but because I've had to buy so many sizes all of the time. I have never been one size for one year. Except when I first lost the 130 pounds at Weight Watchers, I was that size. In fact, it was size eight, a single digit. Wow. Size eight in pants and I think a six in a dress for one year. And then I put on a little bit of weight and went to like size 10 and 12. And that was at a weight of 164 on me, which actually... I felt better at that weight, so I stayed at that weight for about a year. Then came my surgery, and ever since my surgery, when I put on about 30 pounds after that, it's just been a roller coaster. I've been up, I've been down, I've been up, I've been down. And when I started this podcast, I was the most I'd ever weighed since I started Weight Watchers at around 300 pounds. I was up to 225. That made me very upset, because last year I'd gotten down to 202, so that meant in six months, I'd put on 23 pounds. Well, today my friend the scale greeted me with 214. I'm like, yay, rock on! I lost the birthday pound, I'm on track, I'm lower than I was, I'm 11 pounds down. Now most of you probably would not be celebrating 214. 2014 sounds like a football player size, right? But I don't care. For me, it's down, I feel good, and Like I shared, I don't know if I shared recently, but 191 is my interim goal because I weighed 191 pounds when I rode my bicycle all around the big island of Hawaii five years ago when I was 50. And I might have weighed 191. I'm not sure what size I was, but I felt powerful. I could move. I could pedal that bike uphill. I could do everything I wanted to do. And I had the time of my life. And I have pictures to prove it. Yes, my rear looks big because I'm a pear-shaped person. You know, big comparatively speaking to my smaller waist. But so what? I had fun. I'm willing to be that. So that's my interim goal. So that gives me, let's see, if I'm 114, I mean one. If I'm 214 today and I want to be 191, that gives me twenty-three pounds to go. So I'll tell you what I got today that I didn't really have the first day I podcast. I have hope. I have hope that I can get to 191 and I'm not going to kill myself trying to do it because even though I have been on an eating plan and keeping my calories within a range I've not really been dieting in the way that I have dieted ever in the past. I am not preparing any specific diet foods. I'm not drinking any diet colas or like I hate 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 the taste of any artificial sweetener. I really hate it, so I would rather go without or have sugar, though I can tolerate stevia a little bit. I do a little bit of cooking with stevia, but mostly no. I like butter. I like full-fat cheese. I do like low-fat yogurt more than full, unless I'm cooking with it, but that's the key. Every single bite Of my 1,500 to 1,600 calories is some food I like to eat. Now I do not get to eat as much of it as I did when I was just eating whatever I want. Like if I'm having pizza it might be one piece of pizza. Not two, not three, not half of a medium. No. One piece of pizza with a salad. But it's not diet pizza, it's real pizza. Or I make my own pizza, I make good pizza crust. (laughs) I really like it. So that's something that's new. Because in the past I kind of was either eating good food that I really like in large amounts, or I'm eating food I don't really like but is very low calorie, you know, vegetable salad all the time. Now I happen to super like vegetables, I really do. But when you force yourself to eat vegetables because that's what you should do, you don't appreciate their flavors as well. Now some roasted vegetables are super sweet and delicious. A little bit of olive oil on a root vegetable like a carrot, parsnip, potato, a little bit of that. Really, really good. Roasted, if you got some nice fat asparagus and you just put a light drizzle of of oil on it, put it on your barbecue, delicious. Okay, so for me to eat those kind of vegetables, it's a taste experience. It's not a punishment, it's something I want to do. Now, a resource that I wanted to mention is a book that was written many, many years ago by Janine Roth called Feeding the Hungry Heart. And I think she might have been the first person to put forward the idea that what we're doing when we're overeating often is filling an emotional void. So I devoured that book, Feeding the Hungry Heart. I said, yes, this is it. There's a story where she just gave up dieting and for like two months ate cookie dough because that's what she was hungry for, and she put on a little bit of weight, but eventually she came down to a normal size weight, built a huge career as a a compulsive overeating and emotional eating specialist, helping people and having workshops. I said, I want to be Janine Roth, but I tried the program and I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) I just was eating the cookie dough and getting fatter and fatter and fatter because I wasn't really getting to the root of my emotional issues with it. I was just thinking that if I stopped dieting, eventually my body is going to come back to normal. And for some people, it does do that. For me, I had issues that were ingrained a little bit deeper, I had some other things going on. So even though the techniques and the thoughts from Janine Roth's book were good, at that time it didn't help me to have the long-lasting success I was hoping for. However, it did put that germ of idea that it is possible to enjoy food and not be scared of food. Because I don't care if you're anorectic or if you are compulsively binge eating your way up to 600 pounds. And that's something I could have easily done, eaten my way to 600 pounds easily, with how fast the weight was coming on when I finally went to Weight Watchers. But no matter who you are, there's a big fear of food. You fear it, and you long for it, all at the same time. So obviously, if you're a compulsive overeater, and you're stopping at the Taco Bell, you're costing a lot of money. You're buying extra food, because to have a gallon of ice cream every day costs more than having a bowl of ice cream every day. So yes, we've already talked about the clothes, we've talked about the money, and later on, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the strain on relationships that can happen. Okay, brave companions, I've come down the mountain a little bit to a different spot where people have put a couple of benches at the very top of a peak so that you can look out over the neighborhood. I can see Los Angeles under the clouds. I can see Glendale, California out over here and down over my neighborhood. So that's pretty cool. I had to stop talking because a group of hikers came up to my top zen place which is a little unusual for that time of the morning but after they've hiked so far up the mountain they really need a chance to sit on that bench where I'm podcasting and catch their breath and drink their water and I decided I could take that opportunity to listen to my podcast on the way back down so I'm probably halfway down the mountain now and where last we left I was talking about the costs of overeating and we talked a little bit about the financial cost and I wanted to go further into the emotional cost to relationships. Now if you think about it, like you may have heard the term of dry drunk, which is an alcoholic who isn't drinking but isn't really modifying their behavior. And I often think that compulsive eaters, when we're dieting, When we're artificially trying to stop our eating behaviors, we turn into dry binge eaters. (laughs) We become kind of unpleasant and snarly because that's the way that we cope. And so our loved ones get used to us, you know, binging out of control, even if they're not aware that we're binging, but we're kind of frantic and focused and they can sense it. We're not focused on them. We're not focused on how we love them or care for them or want to be with them. We don't want to be with them. We want to be with our food. Food is our number one priority. And I know that's kind of harsh and it might not be true for all of you, but for many of us, that's the truth. Compulsive overeating, whether or not you actually have the chemical component in your brain that triggers your overeating behavior, whether it's 100% emotional or partly chemical or 100% chemical, whatever it is, once you've learned this behavior and it's in your compulsive brain, people are not 100% your number one priority. It's the food. And people can sense that. Like, it, If you have a couple of friends, think of that. You got a couple of friends, let's call one Anne and call one Joe. No offense to anyone called Anne and Joe. Let's say Anne is the kind of friend who, if you're sad, she would come right over and give you a hug and be there for you. And Joe is the type who says, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I gotta go off and do my thing. Okay. So on the one hand, we might be celebrating Joe for you know, being true to herself but who would you want in a pinch, Anne or Joe? And we're oftentimes the Joe. We're like, okay for you, sorry about that, but I've got my own issues, and it's almost like we are in a bubble. We're in a cocoon, us and the food, the thoughts about food, the tasting of the food, the binging on the food, the not binging on the food, the deciding what to eat about food. Our focus is so much around the food and eating, that it's impossible to give our family and our friends the care and attention that they deserve. And so I think that's how we fall into people-pleasing. Sounds weird, huh? But I think a lot of our resentful people-pleasing stuff comes from being guilty that they don't have our attention a lot of the time. So if they actually break through us, and get to being able to ask us to do something or go somewhere, we feel obligated to say yes, because we know in our hearts we might not have been paying attention to them (laughs) when we should have been. Does that make any sense? This is just a new idea I'm having. So think about it. Like I will bitch and complain and call my husband names because he puts my trigger food in our house. And m- many of my buddies would say, How dare he put chocolates in your house? Or how dare he have cookies in the house? Or how dare he do this? We all assume that my husband ought to be taking care of me and supporting me by removing these trigger foods from the house. But how does that feel for him? He's not a compulsive overeater, he really gets pleasure out of these foods and he gets a wife that's either distant from him because she's concerned with her eating behaviors or she's yelling at him for having food in the house, (laughs) you know. He really has to tiptoe around me sometimes because I turn into such a bitch. But he's come to... That's Now I'm going to be tripping over my tongue, but one of the good advantages of me talking this all out in the podcast with you is I've come to realize this, and I've been able to share with him a little better what these foods do to me, and how hard it is, and yet admit to him that he does deserve to have these foods, and that's his choice to eat what he eats. And is there some way that he could maybe have foods that he enjoys, either that I don't like, or could he Put them someplace, not hide them from me, but just not put them in my face and not mention them. Right? If you're going to have your food, put it on the top shelf where I need a stepladder to climb to, and you don't because you're tall, and just don't mention it. Don't say after you go to bed, I'm sitting here eating these cookies. I don't need to even know they're there. And sometimes I'm strong enough that he can have his cookies and... I can not be bothered and not be tempted. It's not all the time. So I'm learning to communicate with him about, yes, I'm strong enough now for you to have Rocky Road ice cream. It's probably gonna be fine. Or, you know, hun, Rocky Road ice cream in a gallon is not a good thing. Could you maybe go for fudge bars or ice cream bars because I can handle that a little better. You know, actually communicating with him. But it's the same way with our friends. Let's say we go out to dinner with our friends and we're on a diet, and so everything that they're saying, oh, this sounds delicious, and we're making a big deal about our dressing on the side and feeling like Debbie Downer. So on the one hand, we feel like a wet blanket, and they might be thinking we're a wet blanket too, or we're doing the opposite. We're eating, but instead of enjoying their company and celebrating the delicious flavors that we're having with them, we're calculating in our head how much exercise we need to do to get rid of these calories, or worried about how am I going to get back on track tomorrow or thinking, well, now that I've had this cheesecake, I might as well eat all of the ice cream in the freezer. So again, our food is the attention, the people aren't the attention. So part of plan B for me was to really make the effort to talk with my friends and my husband at my birthday, to really talk with them, and then let food be secondary. And that wasn't natural, that was not easy for me. But I found that it really, really helped. So this is a lot of information that I've shared with you today. And no, I don't expect you to become mini lorries and follow my path. As I've said before, my path to success is not necessarily your path to success. We all have a different bag of issues. We all have a different bag of tastes and things that we're dealing with in our life. I don't have kids I have to cook dinner for. I don't have a job I need to get up to go do anymore. So I have a lot of time to sit around here ruminating and thinking on things. So hopefully that will be a benefit to me and benefit to you. So until next time... Take care of yourself because I care.
1: I'm a slave without a master, heading for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. Inside my skin, and by the dawn, I'll be gone. It won't be hard.